Hi, this is Tiffany Bova. Welcome to this episode of What's Next Podcast, where I have the pleasure of welcoming Elaine Bennett to the show. She has Bennett Inc. Coaching and Development, where she is empowering people to improve their communication skills, key to advancing in business. This is a great story, but less than two years after she signed on to write for the CEO of Solomon Brothers, Scandal had forced the executive to resign. In stepped just this guy named Warren Buffett, and the rest is history. Since working with Mr. Buffett, she has continued to advise CEOs of Fortune 100 companies, professional service firms, and leading nonprofits on their communication strategies. But she's also extremely passionate about diversity, equity, and inclusion. She won the Cicero Award for the best written speech on diversity, which I'm just a huge fan of. I love people that devote time to conversations that we all need to have. So welcome to the show, Elaine. Oh, thanks, Tiffany. I'm happy to be here. All right. We are going to start this out with something I call bullish and bearish. Okay. Nothing too painful. Bullish is you're for it. Bearish is you're against it. Quick it. little questions. Are you ready? Yes. All right. The first one, an AI speechwriter. Bearish. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> and I'd like to talk to you about it, but we'll, we'll, but we'll hold. We'll hold on that. Okay. First one. Second one, Boston Red Sox. I'm a Mets fan. So bearish, although I wouldn't actively, you know, root against them unless they were playing the Mets. My dog is named Fenway. Yes. So hence why I asked the question, right? I don't know how you have a dog named Fenway if you're a Mets fan. But well, I, I wasn't okay. going to name her City Field. <laughs> you could have. <laughs> Otherwise known as Sally Field, maybe. Yeah. Could have been, right? All right. The third one. Are you ready? Yes. Staying in an underwater hotel. Ooh. I am I am bullish on that, but sort of bearish on the commute. Let's go with that. I, that's a good point. Like, do they bring you down in a little, you know, a little uh, submarine or do you have to swim in? The last one I read about was you have to scuba in and then you order a pizza and they <laughs> bring it down to you at dinner time, And then the next morning you scuba out. So uh, I don't know. Well, it, it's an interesting concept. I mean, it would definitely be uh, really cool to see fish in their natural habitat, like, you know, sleeping in an yep. aquarium. Yep. yep. All right. Well, let, let's get started because, you know, look, you're a you're an interesting guest for me to have on the show, you know, for people who listen to What's Next Often. It's about leadership and, you know, resilience and growth and all kinds of things. But I've had one other person on my show to talk about sort of the art of storytelling specifically. Mm -hmm. But I want to really understand the art of speech writing because I think people think presentations is all about what's on the screen. But, you know, having given probably a thousand keynotes at this point, I'd say the content is almost more important. So give us your, you know, perspective on the power of speech writing. Yeah, you're absolutely right that the content is more important than what's on the screen. And actually, I usually advise my clients not to have slides um, or or if they do to make them very almost abstract. There's a great book by Nancy Duarte, D-U-A-R-T-E, called um, Slideology. And I recommend that for learning how to use slides in a more interesting way than your usual corporate presentations. Um, 
So it is, it is about storytelling. You know, um, I was at a conference once and I was not speaking. I was, I was attending. So I'm sitting in the ballroom and they had the three or four people from companies who had sponsored the conference and they, they all had their five minutes to talk. So the first one gets up and he says, I'm from, you know, company X and I really, we're really pleased to be sponsoring this conference because we care about this issue. Okay. Guy number two gets up. I'm from company Y and we're really pleased to be sponsoring this conference because we care about this issue. I'm like, oh my God. Don't you guys think about what you're doing up there and how many other people will be doing the same thing? And the third guy gets up and he says, hi, I'm from Company Z. And let me tell you about why this issue is important to me personally. And so he told a little story and then he said, that's why I'm really, be, really glad that I work for Company Z because it's important to, to us on a corporate level. And that's why we're really glad to be sponsoring this conference. I wanted to give the guy a standing ovation. Nobody cares. Nobody cares that your company gave money. They care about what the personal connection is between the company and the issue and more importantly, between the person speaking and the issue. When I coach TED speakers and TEDx speakers, they're all like, oh, you know, it's all about the big idea. So I got to go talk about a big idea. No, you've got to first talk about a small thing. You've got to talk about a human connection. You've got to make a connection with the audience. And then once they care about you, then they're going to start to care about your idea and they're going to care about, you know, how it'll change the world. But you can't talk about changing the world. You have to talk about the very specific things, the, the people your idea will affect and, and how it will make their lives better. The power of storytelling is there's no shortage of sort of what I think about that. Uh, Nancy Duarte was actually who I was referring to on having on my podcast. I actually endorsed uh, that book. And so I, I would say that when you look at speech writing, do you feel like, so uh, this is a very specific question because, because I give a lot of keynotes and a lot of people, you know, are presenting in front of other people. Let's just say it could be a team meeting, could be a client, something like that. Do you feel like the, I need to have the notes in the slide, you know, the script? Oh, God, no, 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 okay. no, no. I mean, unless you're speaking to a, an audience of blind people, everybody's going to be sitting there reading your slide or trying to read your slide because the print is probably too tiny for them to actually read and they won't be listening to you. And if you're just reading what's on the slide, you're you're really presenting the material in the, one of the most boring ways possible. I suppose it's possible to be more boring than that, but um, but you're setting yourself up to bore the audience, and you never want to do that. <laughs> that should seem self-evident, but you know, don't let your audience get bored. Don't let their their minds wander even for a second, because once you've lost their attention, it's really hard to get back. And I do. You, so based on that, do you think that writing the script out flattens the speech, if you will? So my my best client, uh, the client of mine who was the best speaker, used to lock his speeches two weeks in advance and then rehearse 
And he was a CEO of a very large company. He was a very busy man, but he would, you know, be in the back of the town car working on his speech or he would be wherever and he would just run it in in the free moments that he had for two weeks. And so by the time he got up to speak, he was he was he, he had internalized the words. If you are going to you know, have a speechwriter write your speech, grab it from her on your way to the stage, which has happened, um, and then read it for the first time while you're standing at the podium. Yeah, no, that's going to be flat and sound insincere because guess what? It is. No matter how well I know you and how much, how custom to your voice I, I am, how much I tailor the content to the kinds of words that you say and the way that you say them, um, if you haven't looked at the material before, it's going to sound like you haven't looked at the material before. It's going to sound like it's not yours. And this isn't just about standing on a stage. You know, I'm a salesperson and I'm given a script to read right. from the marketing department on a call. Right? right. So, you know, even though we're talking about, you know, a, a speech or a presentation, it's applicable in in your day to day, you know, I'll, I'll give, I'll give this story, which I think since we've ne mentioned Nancy, uh, many, 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 many years ago, I had given a presentation, um, on a keynote stage and it was the largest stage I'd ever been on. It was live in front of about 15,000 people. And it was a 25 minute speech, but the first about eight minutes, I was very scripted. I had to say very specific things to set up who was going to be behind me. Right. And then the remaining 21 minutes, let's say, was sort of me, like you said, I'd internalize this content. It, it, I could say it a hundred different ways with different stories. And, you know, I was very connected to what I was going to say. Mm -hmm. The first eight minutes were painful at best, not only for me. Now I had practiced, so it wasn't about not practicing. It was about, it was so different than my normal behavior uh -huh. that I just sort of stiffened right up. And so if you watch the YouTube video, which by the way, I sent to Nancy and I said, Hey, I'd love your feedback. She's like, I don't know if you were really nervous in the first like five or six minutes, but you showed up about minute eight, yeah. right? Because, yeah. and it was no, now people who, you know, didn't know me or didn't know my style might've thought it was fine or might've thought I was a little nervous. I don't know. Right. But after giving hundreds of keynotes, that one speech, I talk about it all the time that it was way out of my comfort zone. And so internalizing it and practicing it is one thing, but I do believe, you know, if you don't have the, you know, benefit of having an Elaine, you know, an amazing yeah. speech writer that you have to be able to find your voice Yes, and, and maybe not, and give yourself an outline versus verbatim speech. Yeah. Um, the thing that worries me about outlines okay. is that it's really easy to go rogue. It's, you know, you, you get, oh, you get an idea and let me talk about that for a minute. And then by the time you're done, you are so off topic that you can't bring yourself back. So um, if you have the, the, uh, discipline to stick with an outline and to rehearse the speech along that outline, then yeah, you can use an outline. I, I don't enjoy writing outlines because the other thing about outlines is that when you have a bunch of bullet points, you can't give a speaker new ideas to incorporate because they're only going to 
you know, they see the bullet point, you know, talk about your college experience. Well, they know that that means the time they got drunk in the quad or, you know, whatever, <laughs> whatever the story is. But, but you can't like reframe an argument. You can't like advance an idea, a new idea, because you're relying on what's already in the speaker's head. Um, for instance, the, you mentioned that I won a Cicero Award for the best speech on diversity. Well, that speech was was given to a, a, a women's conference, a women's leadership conference, by my male client, and I opened the speech by using the plot of *The Sound of Music* as a case study, a business school case study. So, you know, we talked about this uh, new hire, maybe an intern, and she was chafing at the restrictions of the company. You know, she couldn't come and go as she liked. She had to do everything the same way that they always wanted to do things. And sometimes she just got so frustrated that she ran into the hills with a guitar and twirled her skirts and sang because she's Maria from The Sound of Music. And, and then we went on using the the different plot points some i mean it wasn't the whole speech but occasionally i dropped it back in and you know by the way she saved her entire team from the nazis who wouldn't want a leader like that on their team so um i could not have done that speech with an outline that give the guy a bullet point that says you know maria's working at a business what do you do with that so if you want if you are saying things that you've said a lot already like a stump speech that you've given a lot you can use an outline but if you're trying to introduce new ideas or concepts or introduce them in a new and refreshing way for your audience you gotta have sentences well when you think about practice when you think about you know living breathing embedding yourself in it yeah it 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 yes it requires discipline but also the practice in isolation so I, you know i maybe am going to give a presentation and you know you've got people who have to give presentations for work let's say let's pretend it's not in this zoom environment let's right. pretend you're in you're front standing of standing in the room yeah you're standing in the room and maybe you're a little bit of an introvert. Like maybe you're not comfortable standing and speaking in front of people. Mm -hmm. And so I have to practice. And does it sound right? You know, it, do I record myself and watch myself? Do I ask my dog to come and sit in and listen? I mean, you know, what do I do if I'm by myself, right? And you're yes. listening to this and, and really for sellers, for marketers, for if you're giving a team presentation, yeah. Like, what's the process? You've now said, write it down, repeat it often, right? So you start to live and breathe it yep. and it embeds yep. in you. Yep. But that doesn't necessarily mean you've learned it and it's embedded and it's good. <laughs> so, right. How does any writer know that what she's writing is good is you show it to somebody and you have a writing coach, uh, maybe somebody like me, or you have a trusted you know, colleague in your organization, a mentor, and you say, you know, do you have 15 minutes? I'd like, like you to listen to this speech and get some feedback. Um, feedback is, is 
like oxygen to me. I can't, I can't live without it, which is not to say that I take it from anybody. I only, only go to people whose work I really respect. Uh, I was going to say something, oh, something else about, you know, when you're rehearsing your speech, don't just stand in the middle of your room and, and speak, pretend you're on stage speaking, because especially if, or at the front of the room speaking, because especially if you are an introvert and that sort of position intimidates you a little bit, it's going to be very stiff and the stiffness is going to translate into the words that you're saying. So I like to tell people to rehearse, you know, while swinging their arms from side to side or while doing the dishes or jogging or whatever, when you get bored with it, um, rehearse it in a, use a different accent, you know, say it as if you're a posh British person or a, a cockney or a gunslinger out West and, and play with it so that you, you not only know these words, you like them. And, um, also, uh, a friend of my, my business partner, Maria Contrera has a, tr a tip to rehearse while you're, if, especially if you need to memorize a speech, rehearse it while listening to television. Because if you can, if you can deal with that distraction and still, still say your speech, then you know, you've, you've got it cold, you know it. Well, I've often get, gotten asked, you know, because I do a lot of um, keynotes, how did I work on getting better? Mm -hmm. And so early on, it was a disaster. <laughs> I had a three ring grinder and I was sort of reading and yeah, it was bad. It was bad. And then I said, you know what? I'm going to identify who I think is really good at giving a speech. Mm -hmm. So whether it be an orator like a Oprah Winfrey or a Barack Obama, regardless of what you think of them, I'm talking about their ability to communicate. So from an oration perspective, and then what is, what is it, how do they pull me in? What uh -huh. do they do that pulls me in? So I did two things. One was I would listen to a quote unquote speech without watching. Mm. And then, and I would look for pace. Let me bring you into the story. Yep. You know, inflection in the voice, isms, um, you know, volume, like really looking for ways in which they make the words come to life versus just talking at a monotone. And I'm here to tell you about the weather and it's, you know, painful yeah. fast, right? We've all been in those presentations. The second thing I would do is I would watch and not listen. Yep. So then I would be like, okay, are they pacing? Are they fidgety? Are their hands in their pocket? Are they playing with the clicker or the pickle, depending on what yeah. you call it? You know, ultimately, you know, sort of really trying to absorb and finding people whom captured me in a in a discussion, whether it's a fireside chat, a Q&A, a podcast, a whatever it was. And so whomever has moved you, I, I recommend you do that because you, I guess, and the asterisk there is, my goal was not to become like them. Right. Because then I think you're not authentic and people can smell it a mile away. And, and also then it's like me being stiff doing a script on stage. I'm so out of my own character yep. that it, it's just painful. And finding what you can make your own in your own way with the lessons that you've learned from those two sort of exercises. Yeah. Helpful 
very helpful. And, you know, the thing about Oprah, I've been writing speeches for a very long time. So I was writing speeches before Oprah became very famous. And the minute her show took off, everybody wanted to be on stage with a mic on their head and pacing around the stage. No, you know, that was like, I want to, I want an Oprah moment with the audience. I want to be able to walk around and talk to them. And that is not as easy as it looks like. And often if you, if you don't do it intentionally, it's just a way of, of, of letting go, letting, diffusing your energy, which you, you want your energy not to be diffused all over the place. You want it to be focused on, on delivering your message and, and delivering to the audience. And so, so I think one of the worst things that happened to corporate speech giving was the, the Oprah moments. Um, and, and people are just so enamored of it. I like, I like it in, I really like the, Oprah angle, just using her as an example for Q and a, you know, she said something many years ago on television when she was still on TV and had her show that she said, you know, it's really great to see you and talk to you because whoever she was talking to, I don't remember who she was talking to and uh, which says everything. Like, I don't even remember who she was talking to. I remember what she said. I remember what she said. Yeah. Hello. And uh, uh, she said, you know, I never go backstage in the green room and say hello to my guests before I come out because you have that really authentic, um, curious conversation. And then you can't replicate that, yep. that conversation again. Yep. Right. So you said, and you go, like we were saying, and the audience or whomever is going, what do you mean? Like we were saying, this is, I'm, this is the first three minutes I'm seeing you. Right. So, you know, I think there is something to be said if you're listening to this and you have to do a Q&A or, you know, it's a it's an interview or anything like that. Um, there is something to be said for the spontaneity of it, but then you really have to know your content. Well, you know, panels, people, people on panels, they often get together beforehand to talk about what they're going to say, whether it's a week or, you know, a couple days before the panel. And that is a real great way to kill the spontaneity. On the other hand, you want to be able to corral the panel within the, the stated topic. Um, I went to a panel discussion one of my clients had um, arranged and nobody talked about what they were supposed to be talking about. And so as a result, there was no after product that I could create for her out of the content because there was, you know, four different speeches that happened, not one discussion of one topic. Um, I also, you know, when I interview people to, to for written things, um, I don't like giving them the questions in advance. And I think a lot of some people who speak and do Q&As live might want to know the questions in advance. But you know, if it's a subject that you you know, if it's, you know, your leadership style, well, you know how you've been leading your company. You know what, what your successes are and what things you wish that you could have done differently. Um, so don't think about it in advance because it's just going to sound like you prepared something. Well, case in point, did I send you questions ahead of time? You did no. not. I did not. And uh, I never do. And when, you know, the the handlers of whomever is going to be a guest comes to me and goes, we want the five to seven questions. Yeah, I'm like, no. well, I wouldn't pre-give questions if I was going to sit down and have a cup of coffee with Elaine and 
you know, in mm-hmm. Chicago one day when we were in town at the same time. So that's the kind of environment I want to have. And when people are like, well, I'll get you, Tiffany, the questions before you join, I'm like, <laughs> I don't, I actually don't care what you ask me as long as it's in my wheelhouse. You know, if you're going to ask me something about engineering, I, right. I, I'm not your gal, right? Yeah. But if you're going to ask something in any of my, you know, five or six wheelhouses, I also know how to not answer it and answer it. Like if I really right. don't know the right. answer, I know right. how to not just say, you know, I'm taking the fifth. It's, you know, I, well, I, I was really that. hoping we could talk about nuclear physics today, but um... <laughs> good luck with that. <laughs> good luck with that. Well, listen, this has been um, really just fantastic. And I'd, I'd love to leave some action items for people, you know, listening to this podcast, because I think that um, like the art of persuasion, even though if you're not in sales or something, you're, you're persuading all the time. And mm-hmm. I think you're also giving speeches and orating, especially at work. And there is a difference between in person and via video, the the digital behavior and the digital isms and the tone and the pace is very different when you're remote versus when you're in person, because you lose that physicality of speaking and engaging, right? I talk with my hands. Yep. If I'm on a video call, you don't see that or, if, you know, kind yeah. of thing. Yeah. Um, so if someone wants to advance their ability to craft a story slash speech slash presentation, right? So it may not be for stage. Right, right. The one, two, three things you'd say, here's what I would recommend you do sort of first, second, third. Well, figure out what you need to rehearse and what you don't need to rehearse. So, you know, rehearse a scripted presentation. Don't rehearse for a, a panel Q&A. Uh, you know, I spent a summer when I was in college working as a telemarketer, please forgive me. Uh, and, and, you know, we had a script, right? Hi, Elaine, I'm calling from, I'm Elaine, I'm calling from Dial America, and I have these wonderful children's books to send you. That's not going to make many sales. But if I sounded like I was a young mother, Hi, I'm Elaine, and I'm calling from Dial America today to tell, I want to tell you about these really wonderful children's books we have. Then I was making a connection with the people, and because I wasn't flat and monotone and I've got to read these words and sell this stuff to you, I made lots and lots of sales. So wherever you're talking, be yourself and and do whatever you need to do to get whatever stereotype of a speaker that you have in your head, get that out. Whether it's a stiff person who stands at a, at a lectern and reads slides, or whether it's Oprah Winfrey, unless you're Oprah Winfrey, don't, don't try and be Oprah Winfrey. And, but just do be yourself because that's how people will connect with you. If you're giving a speech, any presentation that you make, don't start start it right off start right off the bat like a saturday night live cold open you know they don't they don't introduce the players before they have their first sketch don't start your speech with thank you thank you tiffany for having me here and thank you nancy for setting it up and all of that 
the only people who listen when you reel off a list of thank yous are the people who expect to be thanked. Everybody else is starting to check their phones already. And once you lose them, they're lost. So start right in with your content. If you need to thank people, like if you're, you know, talking to your boss and you want to throw him some you know, ups, then um, work it into the content of what you're saying rather than making it an add-on. Oh, and can I say one more thing? Of course. The, um, the thing about ad-libbing and having a script is watch the next, the next speaker you see. And usually people do the ad-libbing up front, usually while they're thanking people. Um, but you can almost always tell where the juncture is, where the, where the official speech starts. And that is a cue for me as an audience member to think, oh, this is the part he doesn't really mean. This is the part someone else wrote for him. So he doesn't really mean this. He really meant the stuff he said before. So don't, don't create an, a situation where people can start thinking that the best way to not create that situation is don't mess with the upfront of your speech. Go with what your speechwriter gave you because she knows what she's doing, um, and and rehearse also. If you're gonna if you're gonna insist on adding the thank yous, add the thank yous, but but rehearse them so that they are seamless with the start of the speech. Well, I want to wrap this up. That's great advice. I want to wrap this up with maybe a, a story or two, you know, working with someone like uh, Mr. Warren Buffett mm. must have been interesting as he is sort of called the Oracle of, you know, talking about things. Um, what was most surprising to you uh, about writing speeches for someone like that? Okay. Well, so I didn't write speeches for him. He came in as the interim CEO of Solomon Brothers and I was the CEO's speechwriter. So, you know, but he was focused on the internal workings of Solomon Brothers and for very good reason. And so he did not do anything external. I wrote a lot of internal things for him. Um, and, but so that's, um, I want to clear that up. What was it like working for him? It was, he was just brilliant and, and generous and, and, um, and he, so, so the first, the first thing I met him, um, we had, you know, he was our largest shareholder. We had all of his annual reports in our office and I would read them when I had you know, a minute or so. So when he came to be our interim CEO, I already had his voice in my head. And so he was in his opening press conference on a Sunday afternoon saying, I'm coming in, riding in on my white horse. And uh, somebody tapped me on the shoulder, said, you got to go up and write something. So I went up to my office and I was asked to write a letter that uh, would go out under Warren's name to all of our clients, basically saying, oops, and it won't happen again. And um, so I wrote it, I, this is, you know, the early 90s, and um, we didn't have email back then. I didn't know who was going to be reviewing my work because everybody above me except for my boss had basically been fired. So I wrote my office phone number and my name on the top of the page, and the <laughs> next day my phone rang, and it was Warren. And he said, did you write this thing? I'm like, yes, yes, sir, I did. And he said, it sounds like I wrote it. And I said, well, sir, that's my job. And that was it. 
that was that was the beginning of a really wonderful professional relationship. And he would call me in to ask my advice on things that, you know, had nothing to do with writing or communication. Well, they had to do with communications, but nothing to do with writing. And he was just a great guy. Well, you know, what a lovely story, but a, but a great message underlying is that you had done your homework, Yep. you know, so there's a lot of little nuggets of lessons that as Lane has given us over the last, you know, 25 minutes. Uh, so I want to thank you for joining us on the what's next podcast. How can people keep in touch with you, your work, um, and even maybe use you, you know, on those big speeches they're thinking of, of doing even maybe that would be lovely. Um, my website is Bennett, B-E-N-N-E-T-T-I-N-K, like ink from a pen, dot com. I am on Twitter at Biz Speechwriters, Speechwriter, Biz Speechwriter. And I'm on LinkedIn as well. So uh, reach out. Excellent. Well, thank you so much, Elaine, for joining me here today on the What's Next podcast. I look forward to listening in vicariously to all the amazing speeches that you write out there around the world. So thank you for the work that you do. Thanks, Tiffany. What a fun conversation with Elaine. I hope you enjoyed this episode of What's Next because I think everybody every day has to give little mini speeches to convince somebody to do something at work, to get your kids to take out the trash. It's not just about persuasion, it's about the communication style and the way in which you prepare yourself for those big moments that you have, whether it be in front of your own employees, presenting in front of a team, standing on a stage, doing a TED Talk, or writing something for Warren Buffett. Thank you all for joining me today on the What's Next podcast. Look for the next one next week. Sign up, subscribe, leave your feedback. I appreciate you spending time with me here today. Have a good one. Bye-bye.